All right, Lee. So give us a brief overview, one of who you are and two of Common Craft. All right. Um, yeah. So my name is Lee LaFever, and um, I am originally from North Carolina. I moved to Seattle in 1998 and eventually became an online community manager. And uh, after that, started Common Craft to do online community consulting. And after doing that for a while, uh, YouTube got to be popular, social media got to be popular. And we started making, my wife and I, Sachi and I, started making videos uh, to explain social media. And those videos that we published in 2007 were uh, viral hits, or as I say, the 2007 version of viral hits. And uh, totally changed our lives. We become we became video producers and became known for making uh, social media and technology easy to understand. And uh, that's really what Common Craft is known for now, is we're kind of known as the original explainers and the people who got the sort of explainer video movement started back in 2007. Nice. And you recently came out with a book, which we, we're definitely going to talk that's about. Right. So, so yeah, talk about the book because right. it's interesting, you know, going through the the high levels of it, um, me and Jonathan go back and forth um, or we have a lot of conversations, right? Like even the the remote versus co-located, you know, company kind of conversation, um, you know, but but walk us through the the premise of Big Enough, the book and kind of your philosophy there. Yeah, sure. Um, so Big Enough is a book about entrepreneurship. It's a book about building a business that really tells the common craft story starting in 2007. And the, the big idea is that it's kind of a challenge to the sort of entrepreneurial perspective that bigger is always better. You know, that that's why anyone would start a business is to get big and get rich and have as big of a company and as most and as many employees as you can. And that's obviously a, a very valid perspective. Like my point is not that that's wrong or bad or whatever. Uh, my point with the book is to show that uh, there are other options. There's other ways to think about business. And um, one of the things, one of the ways I describe this for entrepreneurial audiences is, is in terms of shareholder value, right? Like, there's been, especially since um, uh, you know the '80s, this perspective that shareholder value or that the businesses exist to maximize shareholder value, and for, for big companies, that's uh, you know stock price valuations, things like that, and that again valid. But for small companies, f- when there's just two people who are maybe the only shareholders, so to speak, then maybe there's other ways to think about that value. Maybe it's not just monetary. Maybe it's things like having. Uh, time or having uh, control of your time specifically living in in a location that you have chosen or spending uh, having passion passion projects that you can you can pursue and, and things like that 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 a business can also be optimized for versus only being focused on money yeah that makes sense because because you're looking at the quality of life more heavily than you traditionally would right because I mean you know I so I graduated not too long ago as a finance major and that's what we studied. It's like, listen, you exist to increase shareholder value via stock options or, or, you know, the value of the stock. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's interesting because I, I, I was definitely in that camp and I'm I'm glad you bring up the point that it's not one or the other, right? It's this whole idea of it's an option, right? You have a menu of options for the type of business that you want. And I've always said, build the business that you want, not what somebody else has, because you might not want that. Um, and I've gone through both phases. You know, I've, I've done the, you know, I, I want it to be small and I want it to basically just like support my lifestyle. Like at one point I'm like, if the business can get me through college, <laughs> like that's <laughs> success to me, right? I don't need it to be massive. Sure. Um, and now that I'm on the other side of school, I'm like, man, 
for whatever reason, I just have this weird fantasy of running a hundred million dollar business and like, it's like driving me. Right. But that doesn't mean that everybody should. And I'm glad we can have this discussion now of not everybody needs to be a seven, eight, 10 figure like entrepreneur or founder. Like that's, that's an option you can go with, but it does not have to be your go-to option. And fun fact, you can build a business that supports your lifestyle and the things that you value more so than just an exit value. Um, so on and so forth. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that um, a lot of people that go into business uh, don't don't always know what they're what to expect and how it's really going to impact their lives, and they they just make an assumption that oh, I'll, I'll create a business and then I'll get rich and then I'll be happy, or that doing this business is going to make me happy. And, and a lot of people find out that it's it doesn't always work that way. That even making a lot of money does not necessarily make people happy. And um, I think that there's a growing number of people and, and even entrepreneurial people who are seeing that there is a certain amount of respect to, for, for entrepreneurs who actually choose, choose their quality of life over the, you know, trying to have the biggest pile of money. And you're starting to see this, I think, as a larger trend, right? You even have people like Gary Vee kind of shifting his gears to where it's like, listen, hustle, all that stuff. That's awesome. But focus on being happy first because you can hustle your face off and be super wealthy. But if you literally hate your life, you're just rich and you still hate your life. So, you know, fun fact, you need both. Yeah. And lately he's also been talking about uh, the value of of being responsible with your money and saving money. And well, there's a chapter in the book called The Monitorium, um, which is uh, a moratorium on spending money. And it's a short term uh, change in lifestyle that Sachi and I've done multiple times. We've done it for preparing for home innovations or big trips where we say, okay, we're going into the monitorium now. And that's like flipping a switch on our lifestyle where we really crank down our expenses. So we don't eat out. We don't we entertain from home in general. We don't travel unless it's like camping or staycation kind of things. And, um, early getting started doing that, I hated it. Like I was not good at, at that. I feel like I was missing out on something, but after doing it multiple times, it became a game and something that Sachi and I could play together to try to see, you know, if we can beat last month's numbers in the groceries that we bought and and things like that. And now I've come to see it as like, that's, there's happiness in that. There's like, it's a responsible way to live. And, uh, you know, I think I'm fortunate to have a choice. A lot of people live that lifestyle without a choice. And I think it's good to recognize that, but I think everybody um, can benefit from, from at least thinking about it as almost like a training regimen that you should be able to, it's almost like resiliency, right? You can, you can train yourself to go into a phase where you can control your finances. And uh, I don't think a lot, enough people actually have experience doing that. Yeah, no, it's true. And it becomes like this interesting competitive advantage, right? Where some people are like, oh, I have to go get a six-figure job because the business just isn't paying the bills. Like, Or you could just ratchet things down and be fine. It's funny. I, I do something similar, um, certainly on the financial side, but more so on the on – the, like, so – I go back and forth on minimalism quite a bit, right? But I find myself whenever I get really overwhelmed and I feel like there's just too much on my plate, for whatever reason, my go-to strategy to deal with that is like minimalism. It's like just – it's paring things down. Um, similar concept, right? It's just I use that as my competitive advantage where a lot of people just keep letting things get further and further chaotic. I simplify I'm like, no, <laughs> like it's not that I can't take on more. It's that I'm taking on the wrong things and I need to reassess here. And even on the personal, you know, fiscal as- aspect, I'm like, no, cool. Like I'm, right now, this, the whole idea of a 
Project 333, right? Like you take 33 items of clothing and you wear that for three months. I'm like, done, did it last night. <laughs> like, you know, reducing decision fatigue, stuff like that, right? Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, an interesting sure. strategy. I like that. Yeah, I think that is um, something that a lot of people are, are thinking a lot now. I think those things build up and it's not because you're necessarily, you don't necessarily recognize it as these things are coming into your life. They're just a lot of small decisions that you turn around one day and be like, what happened to my time? And I think one of the biggest skills and really one of the hardest things is being okay saying no, like telling people like, no, I can't do that or I'm not going to do that. And it's just as humans, I don't think we'd like to disappoint people, but it's really one of the only tools we have to get control of our time and get control of our lives is by being selective and being, you know, diligent about, about what, what we let in and what we don't. Yeah. And it's so hard too. It, it is hard to say no. Yeah. I don't know why, <laughs> but it is, it's like, you know, so I can get dumped 30 massive projects and I, for whatever reason, probably ego will just be like, I'll figure it out. Just give it to me, <laughs> you know, but really I should be like, no, that's completely ridiculous. That's not going to happen. You know, I can take on five, you know, and five is probably too much too. <laughs> yeah, sure. So let's kind of shift gears over to, um, to scalability. Cause, cause that's something that comes up and I w- I'm curious to see how you view, scaling a business? So Common Craft, when it got started, our first business model was in services. So we were hired by companies to make explainer videos for them. Our, you know, our second client was Google and we did a video for Google Docs that's still available on YouTube. You can find it at Google. Uh, if you just search for Google Docs in plain English. Um, and so when uh, those opportunities came up, it was great because we weren't sure what our business was really going to be. Uh, but we quickly found out that as two people working from home, we could not make more videos without hiring more people. And that kind of put us in this mode of really trying to figure out what Common Craft was going to be. And uh, through listening to people, what people wanted, people asking to download our videos, use them at work, use them at, in their classrooms, um, we saw an opportunity to license our original videos, videos that weren't made for a client, but ones that we owned ourselves. And... Um, started offering digital downloads of the videos. And that was the first time we saw, one of the first times we saw like, oh, these videos could be a product. They can be something we make once and sell multiple times. And that was when the first idea occurred to us that, oh, if we can do this, then those videos can sell themselves for years and be self-service from our website. And that means that Common Craft can scale like a startup, you know, not necessarily hockey stick, crazy money, but, you know, can scale, um, in a way that, you know, two people working from home don't, you can't usually do. <laughs> um, and so we, we made a decision a year after making the first videos, this was 2008, um, to really focus on the, the model of, of licensing our work because it scales because, um, you know, the same video can be sold multiple times. And uh, that's kind of set us up for what's happened since then. That's been, you know, 12 years ago. And we're still, we're still basically doing that. It's in the, in the form of a membership service now. That's how people use Common Craft videos, becoming a member of Common Craft. And that's been in place since about 2011 or 2012. Gotcha. It, it's funny that you, you bring that up because we were just talking about in our previous episode about, you know, choosing business models. And that's more the M&A side, but but I think you should always, again, life always comes back to reverse engineering for me. I don't know why, but it does. It's a common theme. Um, but picking the right business model, I think, is very important, right? Um, 
if you don't want to manage a large team, well, now you got to pick something specific. And my first, you know, I guess my first official business, I don't know, I was a kid still, <laughs> but it was official, was official enough in my eyes. Um, but it was, it was service-based. And I remember thinking, okay, well, let me extrapolate this out. How could I scale this into something meaningful? And it was a ton of employees. I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> not, not at like <laughs> yeah, 19. For sure. And like, there's obviously, again, nothing wrong with employees, but I think that scalability is something that's easy for people to overlook because a lot of entrepreneurs go into their business, not because they're interested in business, but because they're good at something or because it's a passion, you know, where the business is really just a vehicle for their passion. So they're good at a thing. The business is just the mechanism that allows them to keep doing that thing. And that's great for services like services, a lot of especially small services and lifestyle businesses are like that. But once you start thinking about products and scalability, then the person who's running it or the founders or founder uh, has to have a whole different skill set. It's not just about the passion for that domain or that subject matter, but they have to have a passion for things like product development and marketing and logistics and executive decision-making and hierarchies and HR and like, all these things that a company depends on uh, that, uh, you know, that, that makes it that much harder for someone to be good at it, I think, because they also have to be passionate about the subject too. Yeah. And it's a shift, right? Cause I'm now going through that shift where we're about to double our headcount, um, strategically, which is a great thing for where we want to take things. Um, but it is different going from me and my co-founder James running everything to now I have direct reports and, uh, it, it's a different skill, skill set. And it, it's not just skills, right? It's like the whole like meta skill idea too, of, you know, I now have to be able to pick up a skill set very quickly <laughs> or a body of knowledge very quickly. So now, you know, I, I can't expect that I'm just going to be naturally great at all things. No, I have to go put in the work to figure that stuff out. And that works for my personality type because I like learning consistently. But some people are like, no, I just I want to live my life in this type of way. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, to yeah, them, for sure. like, they're like, I don't want to do any of that. But me, I'm like, I love it, you know? Yeah. Well, I think like in your position, too, as a founder, growing growing that way allows you to have some interface with all those things on the way up. Like you're, you're getting, you know what it's like to be in that role because you that was part of, that was part of your, your job for a while at one point. So you can consult people where you're bringing in and say, well, this is what happens in that, in that role. And this is what you're, what you can expect. And that's, that's really big. Yeah. I, I enjoy this idea of going from knowing nothing <laughs> about a role or, or a topic to, you know, theoretically an expert level in some regard, right. Where it's like, cool. Now I, I can really speak to this area, this role, this, this skill set. Um, whereas three months ago I had no idea it existed. Um, so to me that's fun, but I, I could see that being very overwhelming to a lot of people and, and just not a good fit. Um, I know my parents run, run businesses and they're like, we like it where it's at. Like, you know, if it makes a little bit extra, that's awesome. But like, don't want this massive conglomerate, you know, I get it. I totally get it. It's uh, and, and how would you approach? Because because we're talk, talking about the fact that it's not one or the other, right? It's not binary. How would you recommend to to a first time founder to approach that type of decision of of really determining kind of what route to go? Yeah, you know, I think it really has to do with with values. What do you really value? And some people value being rich, and that's totally understandable. Nothing wrong with that. Some people value being a leader. Um, again, all, all great, but, um, I think 
people get into trouble when they start to substitute other people's values for their own and they don't really get a handle on what they really, really want. And a lot of people just assume that what they want is to be rich. But I think that there are some people who deep down actually want to live a, a simpler life or want to have more time with family or whatever. And that can be a guiding principle for how you think about your business and how you think about growth and, and scalability and things like that. Um, so again, not one size fits all. I just, I really do think that values matter a lot in that decision. Makes sense. Jonathan, jump in here. Cause I can't see your video. So I feel like I'm cutting you off theoretically. <laughs> you have no idea what I'm doing over here. I could be taking a nap. Um, in the continuing the succession of, uh, interview guests that happen to be hyper relevant to what I'm doing. I feel like Dylan's doing this on purpose because he does most of the most of the scheduling, uh, you know, I'm I'm fresh off of a launch of a home based business, right? The nice. Kenmore Coffee Company. Um, oh, cool! Went live last month, and congrats! I'm squarely in the middle of all this because <laughs> you know I, I I'm not building it to become some coffee overlord domination, right? Like I'm not <laughs> trying to take on Starbucks. I'm not, you know, I'm not even trying to take on like a local. You know, the I don't even know who like who is number one in Seattle these days. I don't know. Starbucks. Like it, it, sure. Fine. <laughs> I guess that's, they're both the same. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm building a thing that, you know, I, to me, success is more of just like this is a thing that just works. Right. Like it's it can it can it, it grows and, you know, people like it. Like my my definition is is kind of vague and hand wavy and. You know, for for a little bit in the in the early stages, it, it was it was kind of hard to come to terms with. Like that's an acceptable way to feel about it, especially if it's not going to be something that I plan on replacing my day job with. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm taking time out of my workday to do this. Even like this is I have no <laughs> plans on quitting my day job, right? Because that gives me the the safety and security of well, if this falls over, you know, at least I still have my day job. You know, like people people hate on you know, having a nine to five when they're building something, but like, that's a nice, comfortable safety net to fall into, you know? Oh, it is. It is. When I started Common Craft, I was a consultant and my wife kept her job. So we would have health insurance and, and regular income because <laughs> it took a while until my consulting actually paid any bills. And that was, we were very fortunate for that to be that way. Yeah. I know my wife tells me now that, you know, it would be, it would be neat if, if your, your, your coffee, you know, endeavor can replace my income, but like, doesn't even have to do that, you know, like, you know, this is this we wanted to just kind of grow the way it does. And if it does turn into something where, you know, it replaces her income or it ends up replacing both of our incomes, that's great. But I'm not using that as like my metric for have I succeeded in creating this thing, right? Because I feel like that, I don't know, it seems kind of arbitrary in a way. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, you mentioned that idea of like respectability. I think that's a that's a big thing in sort of entrepreneurship is people feel like that they want to be respected as a leader and an entrepreneur and they can't do that unless they have a big company and have, you know, huge valuations and and that that definitely does the trick. Um but I think there's again like multiple forms of respectability and I think for entrepreneurs who are trying to look out for their health and for their sanity um, that, that choosing not to pursue that path can be a respectable choice too. Yeah. I was at the, um, the Bothell Kenmore chamber of commerce meeting yesterday, um, which was interesting. It was my first time. And, you know, there, there are a lot of other like small businesses 
in the area that have similar, you know, perspectives on things, right? Like that's, it's not, you know, I was, I was a bit surprised to see how many folks who were there who had such small operations, but were entirely happy and felt like they were, they were doing everything right by their, you know, their metrics, right? Like, you know, they weren't massive conglomerates or feeling like they, they have to take it to the next level. Like they're, they're just there. They're, having fun you know kind of hanging out so to speak and you know like the the business equivalent of that and you know that's that's nice like that's i it's it takes a lot of stress off of me you know i i i one thing i'm I'm picking up on here you know skimming through like the the notes for your book and whatnot is like having time left in the day and being able to like still live a regular person life (laughs) <laughs> while you're doing all this kind of sure you know it, it has almost more value than what you're building itself right like i the last thing i would want is to end up in a situation where i'm spending every waking hour either at work or working on my business and then just having like no time for myself like that's exactly how i get burned out and that's like the last thing on my mind yeah i you know i think the pandemic has had an effect on that perspective for a lot of people where suddenly they were quarantined suddenly they're working from home i mean it goes both directions some people are don't want to be at home with their families but um, there's a lot of people who are thinking like wow if i could just figure out a way to do this this is really much better for me than going into the office every day and uh, you know when you know big enough was written last year and was going to be published in may uh right in the middle of the really scary scary uh, scary at the time part of, of the pandemic. And we pushed it out to September. And I was really worried that, gosh, society could change in that interim period. And the book might mm-hmm. not be relevant anymore. But I think it's actually gotten a little more relevant, which I'm very thankful for. And a lot of people are seeing that like, oh, yeah, I was I was really thinking much bigger. And that might not have been the best path for me. And now I'm starting to think maybe smaller might be better. I think, at least from my perspective, you know, bringing COVID into the equation, like when I first, when I, the very first thoughts I had about this were like in December of last year. And that's when I first started doing some of my my research and whatnot. And and COVID was like not even a thing anyone was paying attention to. And then once it kind of fully hit in March, when I'm starting to think, all right, you know, let's see if we can make this happen. Now I'm, I'm having to like forcibly change gears in a way because the the original ideas I had in my head are kind of going out the window by force, right? Like now is definitely not the time to do something like a food truck or a retail space <laughs> or anything like that. Like anything yeah. physical, any physical presence is just immediately yeah. gone out the window. So how do we, how do we adjust this a bit? And, you know, reestablishing the entire concept as, you know, online only direct to consumer, you know, that kind of brought with it a lot of extra flexibility, right? Like, I operate everything out of my apartment, right? Like I don't, you know, I contracted with the roaster instead of putting in the effort to set up my own facility, right? Like it, it kind of forced me to think about it differently. And in turn, those different paths I took ended up actually being a lot better for me because now, you know, now I don't have to deal with inventory and employees, right? Like I don't have, I don't have a staff, right? It's myself and my wife, you know, provides expert opinions as a non-coffee drinker, which is turns out is actually quite helpful. Um, and I I feel like I'm more sane for it. Like, you know, I've been to the roasting facility and I'm like, this looks like a nightmare. I'm really glad I didn't do any of this. <laughs> yeah, sure. So do you guys talk about business together? Like, is that something that's a, a dinner, ta- dinner table con- conversation, so to speak? 
It it does come up from time to time. It's mostly me bouncing ideas off her as as yeah. somebody who you know she doesn't really follow anything about any sure. anything <laughs> coffee related, right? She's she's not she very much is against coffee in that it does not taste good to her. Oh Which, yeah. Yeah. You know, I'd oh. mentioned that 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 perspective is uniquely helpful in that when I was having her taste, you know, it sounds on the surface having a non-coffee drinker taste your coffees like you know it seemed like that would would be a fruitless exercise, but she took it as a for the perspective of this is the least bad tasting out of all of them. So it's going to yeah, be great. Some value there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so like cool. if a non-coffee drinker was like, well if I had to I would pick yeah. this one. It's like, okay, well that, you know, that's like a, like, you know, that's like a, a New York five, Kansas nine kind of, you know, mm-hmm. metric. And I, I'll, 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 I'll jump on board with that. Right. <laughs> keep, keep trying all of these others, please. So that's, you know, that's great. She gives me a lot of the, the good, like just regular person perspective on all of the, all yep. of the things I'm trying to do. Like, you know, the marketing <laughs> messaging, like, does this actually like resonate at all? Like if yep. you saw this, like, what would you think of it? You know, cause I'm, I might be a little biased given that I'm the one creating it. Like I want all of it immediately to work all the time. So I don't, you know, I frequently overlook things that she catches and I'm like, huh, you know, oh, that makes a lot of sense. That's yeah. That is such a, a truism for like, my, you know, Sachi, my wife is very much like we're sort of co-equals in common craft. Like uh, we work together on everything and always have, um, but we are so different. Like, like she is like super analytical, super sharp. Not that I like to think I'm sharp, but she's actually way sharper than I am. Um, <laughs> and uh, she's like, it's almost like left brain, right brain kind of thing. But there is magic in that combination where I'm more like big picture, dreamer, vision kind of things. And then she's on the ground telling me all the reasons it's not going to work and all the stuff that we have to consider. And we call her the, the chief party pooper. Um, yeah, she's always trying to keep my feet on the ground. Um, yeah, I've heard that a day, few times. That, that combination works uh, for yeah, us, for sure. I, I've definitely heard, maybe you should start with this first. I've, I think yeah. she said that more times than anything else. It's like, yes, but like this whole thing. And it's just like, you know, it waves generally at everything. Like, you know, that's like, I, yeah. I'm sitting oh, here dreaming, thinking about like the t- 10 steps later kind of mm-hmm. thing. And she's like, well, you need to focus on like this little thing right now. Like that's, yeah, that's, totally. like, but that's not as fun. I know. <laughs> I always tell Sachi, like, can't we just brainstorm for a little while? Can't we just like <laughs> think pie in the sky for a little while before you cut it down? <laughs> she's like, yeah, she doesn't want like to you get to have both, man. You do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But it, that's, I think that that's part of the thing about having the company work the way it does for us being sort of a big enough company is that uh, we do work together well from home. Like we're around each other 24 seven um, and making lots of decisions, doing lots of things. And um, that really matters, I think, for for small home-based companies. And that, that was part of the reason that we chose to take the path we did in terms of staying small and, you know, having the constraint of not having employees was that um, if we made business decisions that impacted our personal relationship, then what's it all for? Like if we can't, you know, if it, if it, if it ruined our relationship, then it might ruin the business too. And then what would we have? So it was partially a selfish decision in making the business small so that we could also maintain our relationship um, as well. So there's a personal side to it. That, that's that's a good point because you you see that blow up a lot of times unfortunately um, I've seen that quite quite often um, and it, it's so unfortunate 
um, because it, I don't know. I, just, I feel like it, it can be avoided. I, I'm not. I'm not going to say easily avoided because that's not an easy you know thing to deal with. But but it is cool that you guys intentionally went that route. And I think that's that's the important part here, right? Like you are in, in you are intentionally making decisions for the things that, like you said, that you guys value. That's cool. That's honestly cool. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that, Dylan. Um, yeah, because like I think the the other opportunity, like when we were first making those explainer videos, we were the first movers, and we um, we I, I was so blown away by the demand. Like we had, you know, we were getting five to ten emails a day for a while for people that wanted, um, you know, custom videos, Comic Craft videos, and that, and and at the same time, we were also using YouTube um, because you know that was where we were getting a lot of attention. And over time, we chose to like move away from both of those because they didn't support the business model that we wanted to run. Um, and that was a hard decision. We felt like we were kind of kind of crazy and taking a risk to do it um, because we could have made we could have had a big we could have grown really quickly. Um, but we both uh, we went into it with knowing we were taking a risk, but also I think with a lot of you know diligence. Like we're we're, we're Sachi's an MBA, like not that that matters that much, but she, we're not coming at this as rookies. Like <laughs> we had a lot of intention behind it. Um, and that was, you know, we've stuck with it for long enough that I felt like it was time to write a book about it because <laughs> it worked. It worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, I think the thing that's super, and again, I'm, I'm going to hit it again, but like it's by design. Right. And I'm glad, mm-hmm. I'm glad yeah. you, you're alluding to that. It's, you know, I think it's easy to be like a first time founder and be like, oh, we kept it small. It was intentional. It's like, actually, we were aiming super up here. <laughs> like, sure, it just happened to land sure. that way. Now it's convenient, but you're like, no, like that's not what's happening here, right? It's, it's easy to be like, oh, we just wanted a small business because that's what we had. It's like, no, you literally chose that <laughs> because you had the alternative. And I mean, you had that, you had two amazing growth channels that you're like, doesn't support what we want, right? It's, it's our design. That's what matters. We're not just going to do what the market's requiring or asking of us. We're going to, we're going to find that equilibrium that makes the most sense for us. And that is, is what's important. Yeah. I think that was, that was very much our intention. There's old blog posts from like that period where I laid out almost word for word things that are in the book, because that was so important to us. Um, And, you know, you mentioned before about having to learn things on the fly, like we literally had only made like videos of vacations and things before publishing that video. And suddenly we're supposed to be professional video producers and getting hired by big companies. And we were like, we were definitely learning on the fly. We like, we just invented our own way of doing almost everything. And we never took a step back and learned how to be video producers or how to run a creative agency or how to do all that stuff. In the book, I say like that circumstance is an amazing teacher. And I think you guys are probably feeling that too, that like, Sometimes you can't plan ahead too much. Sometimes you just have to let things come at you and then figure it out when it needs to be figured out. And sometimes that is the best way because you don't waste any time and you learn with what's in front of you right then. And um, and I would not trade that for anything. I think that was uh, a way for us to kind of manage our size along with our business to do things at common craft scale instead of agency scale or big business scale. And it kind of ended up being a whole custom system that we can manage and and do ourselves without any help. And that came totally organically. It wasn't from a book or a class or anything like that. I keep telling people because a lot of business, first time business owners, founders, entrepreneurs in, in the space that we come from, which is e-commerce, um, 
they jump from course to course, right? It's like $5,000 course after like $2,000 course. And they're like, I'm just, I'm trying to find that last piece of the puzzle. And they think it's knowledge that they can acquire via some external thing. And, it, and it's just not, it's that last piece of the puzzle I, f- I finally found was just experience, right? It's doing the thing. It's realizing that you will never feel like you have every piece of the puzzle, every piece of knowledge you need to succeed. You will never feel that way. Therefore, get what you get basically what is required to make it work, <laughs> you know, and then just just go do the thing because then you're going to realize after six months, a year, you're like, I know a lot more now because I actually went and did it and I faced those hurdles. That's good advice. And a lot of things, listen, just because somebody says this is how you run an agency does not mean that that is the best way. You might be able to reverse engineer that thing. You might be able to approach it using first principles and be like, we built it this way. And now all of a sudden people are like, well, I want to build mine that way. That's way better than the other ways, right? Like it's, it's too easy for, for entrepreneurs and founders to, to disregard how they would naturally approach things because we just like, well, I've never done it before. So it's probably wrong, but you don't know that you might approach it in such a great way that it's just, it's amazing. It's really, it's really true. I mean, it goes both directions. Like in management consulting, they, a lot of, a lot of the principles they have are about looking at what's been done and building on top of it instead of trying to come at it from whole cloth, new kind of thing. Um, but I, I really agree with you on the side of, of not be not letting that be a barrier to getting started to feel like you have to go out and like understand every, the whole world. Because I think that people's instincts are often better than they expect and, and that there's value in working through that and trying it and saying, Oh, maybe it doesn't work, but at least you know why it doesn't work and you can find a workaround or find some better way to approach it. Totally makes sense. Lee, just for, you know, time's sake, um, you're, you're two days into a launch, so we know you got, you got a lot going on. <laughs> so we'll wrap <laughs> up here, dude. Seriously. Thank you for coming on. This was, this was fun. Um, it, your perspective on all the things we talked about is very refreshing, um, uh, to say the least, but where can people find out more about you? And of course the book. Sure. Uh, my personal website where the book is also available is Lee Um, and you'll find the book there. And my company is called common craft and that's at commoncraft.com. Awesome, Lee. Thank you so much, man. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Dylan. It was great to be here.